It's about the size of a human fist. It weighs on average 10 ounces. And when it gets sick, you can die. In fact, last year, over 600,000 Americans died from diseases related to it. Would you venture to guess what it is? Your heart, that's right. How's yours today? Obviously, it's still working, right? (laughs) Because we're here. And if we don't have anything else to be thankful for, we can be thankful for that. If we're wise, we're cooperating with our doctors to take good care of our hearts. And for each of us, you know what that means. And no, this isn't a message sponsored by the American Heart Association. But I do want to talk about the heart today. I want us to consider the non-physical heart and how it's looked at in the Bible. You see, this word for heart is used more than 700 times in both the Old and New Testament. And when we look at the scriptures, we read about hearts that are pure, hearts that are hardened, fearful, stubborn, hearts that are glad, hearts that are proud, sad, wounded. In referring to the Bible, the writer of Hebrews 4.12 says this, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible looks at our heart and judges the thoughts of our heart, the attitudes of our heart. And when the Bible speaks of heart, it most often refers to a person's nature and character. And it includes all three aspects of the personality of people. The affections, the intellect, and the will. So in keeping with the theme of our series, Dangerous, I want us to consider another heart. The dangerous heart. I don't mean toxic relationships and and all the pain that that can bring to people or hearts that are on the verge of stopping because of disease. I want us to look at some people in the Bible who had hearts that were so filled with God that they threatened Satan's kingdom. They had developed dangerous faith. And from that dangerous faith came dangerous hearts. I want us to look at a passage of Scripture from the book of Acts and see what we can learn from some men who had hearts that were dangerous to the plans and purposes of the devil. You see, Acts is the only book written by a physician. You know the author? Dr. Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And by the way, as far as we know, he wasn't a cardiologist. And someone has said Acts is the second volume of the good news, the sequel to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Acts, when you read it, you see where Luke explains Christianity's amazing growth in just 30-plus years after Christ's ascension back into heaven. So you have a sheet that was given to you when you came in the doors, and I want you to take that sheet now, 
And follow along as Anne comes and reads from Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord, and they were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the town around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. The high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail... The officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We, give you stri- we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted them put to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all of the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, 
Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Thank you, Anne. What a story. And the rest of this book is filled with more incredible stories like that. Make it your point sometime in 2011 to read the book of Acts. God was doing some amazing things in the early church in Jerusalem. Miracles were taking place. People were being healed. And every day people were coming to faith in Christ and joining the church. The high priest and all the religious leaders of the Sadducees felt they had cornered the market, you see, on this religion thing. And they were feeling very threatened. And a natural sinful reaction rose up in them. What was it? You read it. They were jealous. They were jealous. You see, they thought they had rid themselves of this Jesus fellow. They had consented to his crucifixion. But now the problem was larger than ever. They realized there were more people following the teachings of Jesus now than when he walked the streets of Jerusalem. And their jealousy caused them to have those apostles thrown in a public jail. And this was a holding place for the worst criminals of the day, the thieves and the murderers. You see, the high priest meant business this time. He wasn't going to just give some kind of verbal warning like he had done previously to Peter and John. This time he and the other religious leaders were going to do everything possible to shut up the apostles. But these 12 men had dangerous hearts. And one of the characteristics of a dangerous heart is trust. The apostles trusted God, even though they didn't know what the outcome would be of their incarceration. When you go back to the incident of Peter and John being arrested and released in Acts chapter 4, you can read what they prayed for. They didn't pray to be protected. They didn't pray to be kept safe. I want to read to you what they prayed for. Acts chapter 4. They said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They weren't looking out for themselves, but they were asking God for boldness to preach and heal in the name of Jesus. 
You see, dangerous hearts trust God for whatever it takes to stand against any and all opposition to proclaim Jesus to people who need him. That's a mouthful, and I want to say it again because I think it's so important, not only for the day in which they live, but for our day today. Dangerous hearts. Is that the Holy Spirit coming in there? I hope so. You came in and you. Okay, I know Bible. Dangerous hearts. Trust God for whatever it takes to stand against any and all opposition to proclaim Jesus to people who need him. You see, behind the scenes, Satan was the one trying to shut down the apostles' witness. He was the one trying to keep them from proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to those people. He knew then, and Satan knows now today in 2011, that every person who hears about Jesus and accepts what they hear by faith, seeking forgiveness for their sins, they will be transferred and transformed. They will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into Christ's kingdom. Paul says this to the Colossians, For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has what? Forgiven all our sins. There are two kingdoms, kingdom of darkness, ruled by Satan, the kingdom of light, ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And never forget, my friends, that the devil wants to shut down your witness and your testimony today. And he will do whatever he can to keep us from telling others about the hope we have in Christ. And I say to you, Whatever he throws at you, trust God for opportunities and openings where you can let your light shine for the gospel of Jesus. A dangerous heart is a heart that trusts God no matter what comes. A dangerous heart in all reality is a threat to Satan. Just like the dangerous hearts of three young men that you no doubt learned about in Sunday school. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were found guilty of standing against the sinful culture of their day and giving a bold witness for God. And no doubt it was Satan that influenced the king to devise a plan to throw them into a fiery inferno to kill them. And I believe in one of the greatest testimonies of trust in the entire Bible. This is what they said. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King Nebuchadnezzar, We know 
and believe that our God is able to deliver us from what you have planned for us. But King, we want to make this very clear to you. If God chooses not to deliver us, we would never serve your gods. Not ever. Even to save our lives. These three young men demonstrated something we need to learn this morning. A heart that trusts God is a dangerous heart to Satan and his plans and agenda. And I thought, in working on this message for this morning, what would happen if Faith Fellowship was full of people who had hearts that really trusted God? Like those 12 apostles? Like those three Hebrew young men? What would, we, what would happen if we had hearts that trusted God, no matter what was going on in our personal world? Whether we had health, whether we had sickness, whether we were employed or whether we weren't, whether we had some good relationships in our life or, or whether some were about ready to crash, what would happen? See, the apostles were acquainted with this verse right here. And I want you to read it with me. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The apostles not only knew this verse, they lived their lives by it. And some would say, well, you know, what good did it do for them? They got thrown in jail, and then each of them were brought out, and they were beaten with 39 lashes that left their backs lacerated and bleeding, the cat of nine tails. Is that what trust in God did for those guys? I looked up trust in the word dictionary, and trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. You see, the apostles knew that no matter what came their way, joy or sorrow, suffering or happiness, wealth or poverty, life or death, they knew they could trust in their God to see them through every situation in life. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. They had a firm belief in someone. They had a belief in God. You and I don't know what we're going to face this week. Although I do know Thursday what I'm facing because my dentist walked in. It's not very pleasant either. But we don't know what's coming this week, next month, or the rest of 2011. We don't know what agenda the devil has for us. Other than what Jesus said about him and his agenda for all people. In John chapter 10, Jesus said in reference to the devil, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his plan. That's his agenda for everyone in this place. But we don't have to be afraid, according to this verse, of what someone can do to us 
whether that someone is a human being or the devil himself. I don't have to tell you that we live in very uncertain and frightening times. And I've read the back of the book, this book here on the chair, and it says it's going to get worse. And we're only going to be able to make it through all of what may come in our personal lives or in the world at large by having dangerous hearts that are filled with trust in God. Going back to our story, you can see there on verse 19 on the sheet that during the night an angel came and opened the doors of this jail cell and led the apostles out of the jail. Then the angel gave them this directive in verse 20. Read along with me. Follow along. He said, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Now, most of us would have thought, you know, this would be a really great time for an excuse or two. You know, preach again, angel. You know, when we do that, we get in trouble with the religious authorities. Or, you know, angel, we're just human beings. We're not strong and powerful like you. And we get thrown in jail every time we open our mouths about Jesus. Well, remember, these men had dangerous hearts. So they didn't give any excuses. No, they showed another characteristic of a dangerous heart. Obedience. The apostles didn't give any excuses to the angel because they had dangerous hearts. And dangerous hearts not only trust God, they obey God. They didn't run and hide. That would have been my first thought after getting out of jail. I'm getting out of Dodge, too. They didn't come up with any excuses for not obeying the angel and his God-given assignment to them. Verse 21 says, At daybreak, they went back to the temple courts and began to teach the people. Most of Jerusalem was still asleep, but the apostles were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ as the sun came up over Jerusalem. You see, Satan knows that an obedient follower of Christ is a threat to him. He's seen the ones that George Barna refers to as casual Christians. The ones are only in it for themselves or, or what they can get out of this thing called Christianity. Churches all over the world have the not-so-obedient in their midst. But of course, not-so-obedient isn't even possible. It's like uh, ladies being somewhat pregnant. I think that little stick that you do something with, it, it, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. What is it? Is it blue when you're pregnant? Nobody knows. <laughs> Let's get real, church. You and I either obey God or we don't obey God. The apostles were the real deal who had dangerous hearts. 
Hearts that obeyed God and did what He wanted them to do. Obedience is a choice we all make. Peter and John had made that choice when they had been confronted earlier for preaching about Jesus. They said, tell us whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And now here in our story, Peter being the spokesman, but he's repeating this along with all the other 11. He said, we must obey God rather than men. And really, there it is. Everyone obeys someone in this life. The line gets drawn for each of us. And what's it going to be for you and me? Will we obey God or, or will we not obey God? You see, those with a dangerous heart aren't trying to be on both sides of the line. They've made a conscious decision, just like the apostles, to obey God. And everyone else needs to pay attention to this verse. But if we claim to know Him and don't obey Him, we are lying and the truth isn't in our hearts. We truly love God only when we obey Him as we should. And then we know that we belong to Him. You know, I don't know about you, but that's one of those passages that causes me to do a little squirming when I come across them in my Bible reading, and I find them quite frequently. Whether I like it or not, this verse tells me obedience to God is the external, visible proof of my belonging to God and hence my salvation. All of us can claim to know God deep down inside without the outward sign of obedience. John says, all my claims, all my verbal witness, they aren't truthful. Someone wrote, obedience is the priority of obeying God over every other demand of life. And because that's the case, we should be prepared to pay a price for obedience. The apostles were prepared to be arrested and, and thrown in jail again. They were prepared to pay a price, make a personal sacrifice for the sake of obeying God. In fact, Bible scholars tell us that they believe ten of the original apostles were martyred for their faith. What would have happened to the gospel if these men wouldn't have had dangerous hearts? What would have happened if they had not been prepared to pay a price? What would have happened if they would have chosen to not obey the angel's message from God? Yeah, they would have escaped the beating and they would have escaped the manner of their death later in their life. But what about the spread of the gospel? Is it possible that the gospel message would have been slowed down or even stopped altogether? You see, we must never forget that God has a reason for asking us to be obedient. It's not just a whimsical or, or fanciful idea of His. 
there are not only earthly but eternal consequences when you and I don't obey God. I'm not going to lie to you, deceive you, or mislead you in any way. It would never be my intent as the, one of the pastors here. There is a price to pay when you choose to be obedient to God. It may be rejection of so-called friends at school. It may mean the lack of promotion at your job. It may mean you don't get asked to all the social events of of the country club set. You see, if you want to choose all that, you want to choose what we would consider an easy, safe life, you may need to know that obeying God will be difficult for you because only dangerous hearts sign up for a lifetime of obeying God. Now, obeying God does mean that He will watch over us. It does mean He will make a way for us in every trial or testing. We can expect God to show up and give us the strength and the grace and the courage we need when we choose to obey Him. Who knows? It may even mean a miracle of deliverance by an angel. You see, the beating was bad enough, but the original intent of the religious leaders in verse 33, if you read it, they wanted the apostles to be put to death. And it doesn't take much insight for me to realize the inspiration for that must have come from Satan. He wanted to stop these dangerous hearts from preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to people who needed to hear Then we hear of this man by the name of Gamaliel, who was one of the Pharisees on the Sanhedrin. You had Sadducees and Pharisees. And turn to your sheet, because I want us to read verses 35 through 39, because he stands up and gives some great advice. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed. And all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And who wants to be there, huh? In other words, if this Christian movement is really of God, it can't be overthrown no matter how many people you throw in jail, no matter how many people you kill. And this is what theologians call the inevitable triumph of God. And our hope as Christians this morning is not the kind of hope that you have or feel for something you're not sure about. Like I hope gas doesn't go to $5 a gallon. You know, I spent $62 the other day. Missouri gas besides. 
putting gas in my wife's car. I've never put $62 a gallon of gas in a car. I can't even talk about it. It's so mind-boggling. Or, you know, I hope the economy turns around soon so I can get a better job. Or I hope to get a good report on those tests the doctor ordered for me. No, our Christian hope is simply this. God cannot be overthrown and His plans and agenda cannot be overthrown. That's what it means to be God. In Isaiah 46, God says this about Himself. He's showing off. He's bragging a little bit. He says, I am God. There is no other. I am God. And there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Gamaliel was right. God and what he plans to do on this earth can't be overthrown. And that's always been the hope of those who trust and obey God. The terrible beating came for the apostles. The religious leaders figured now they would stop. They were demoralized and and we're going to break their will because of this beating. The movement now would come to a grinding halt. But what had been overlooked by those religious leaders was the fact that these 12 men had dangerous hearts. Hearts that trusted and obeyed God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story doesn't close with defeat and despair as we would expect considering what had taken place to those men. We read in verses 41... And 42, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Good news then, good news now. Right after a most savage beating, these men were rejoicing and praising God for the opportunity to give witness to and witness for Jesus Christ. And the passage says they continue to do so every day in the temple, in the religious setting, in full view of the religious leaders, and also behind closed doors in the homes of the believers. I think it's a plug for small groups. Amen? There's no way to explain it other than to know they had dangerous hearts. They had the kind of hearts that went on and turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. They had the kind of hearts that people are still talking about nearly 2,000 years later. Dangerous hearts. Trusting hearts. Obedient hearts. Kind of heart that I want. The kind of heart I hope you want. The kind of heart we can ask God for and the kind of heart God desires and longs to give us. A dangerous faith 
and a dangerous heart are what God can use to change your world. To bring the good news of Jesus Christ to to people who need to hear it. The question for us is, will you ask God for a dangerous heart? Will you ask God for a dangerous faith? And I want to pray for us. I want to pray for all of us. And right there in the quietness of your own being, if you want a dangerous faith, a dangerous heart, just ask God. I'm not telling you how that's going to play out in your life. Only the Lord can tell you that over time. But you have to assent to it. You have to ask for it before He can begin to reveal how it's going to work out, how it's going to develop. But if you don't want it, I can guarantee you He'll never give you any kind of hint on how that would have played out. But if you need a dangerous faith, and friends, we all need a dangerous faith that becomes a dangerous heart, a threat to Satan, his kingdom, and what he has in store for you. Just bow your head. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the dangerous hearts of the apostles, the three Hebrew young men, the dangerous faith that they had to stand against, in reality, Satan's plans and agenda for them. Lord, it's been many years since those stories and those people walked the face of the earth But those of us who are here today, we want dangerous faith. We want dangerous hearts. We know the devil's real. We know Satan has plans. Jesus said he came to kill, steal, and destroy. We know he's alive and well on planet Earth. And we know that so much of the problems on our planet are because of his activity. And Lord, right now I pray that hearts would be open. And they would just say, God, give me a dangerous faith. God, give me a dangerous heart. Work it out in me beginning today 